Hi, this is Gay Gordon Byrne. I'm the executive director of the Repair Association, and you're listening to the Scene World Podcast. Hi, guys. Welcome back to the podcast. It's me, Yerk's there. Yeah, that's, here, here we go. That's Elmi. Hey, say, nice. Say hi, Elmi. Elmi doesn't have any idea what's going on. <laughs> so, news. Well, in a minute, before we get to that, before we start with our with our yep. almost non-existent news, um, I've got more behind to... me than I did last time. Nice. See, I've got the, the Amiga is... The Amiga is, yes, my Spock. That is a vintage Spock t-shirt from, like, first edition from, like, back in, like, the 60s or 70s. That is why it's barely recognizable. Yes, and uh, the Amiga is in the corner. I've got a 128 over here that is not yet hooked up. Nice. And then hanging out over here out of sight is a gaming PC that is modern, but nobody nobody cares about those. Mm. Um, yeah, so in a minute, who are we talking to? Gunther Schmitz from Right to Repair South Africa, mm-hmm. which is quite great because um, we never covered Africa before. And I, I, think, be our... I think you told me once that in school Africa wasn't even on the map for your teachers. It was, it was on the map, but we weren't really, they didn't go much into African history or anything like that. Like we didn't, we talked about like Egypt and, and stuff like that, but but it wasn't really. Um, taught within the 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 um, framework of Africa, but but so this will be also a a little uh, right to repair redux. We'll be we going back into this, and and I'm hearing the horns as as we speak. <laughs> yeah. Well, so, the thing is, we should mention um, that we recorded this a while back because mm-hmm. since. Um, December actually, South Africa unfortunately due to um, well political problems. Let's say this way, they have a lot of power outages. Okay. So for hours per day or something. So and this was recorded shortly before this incident um, with the corruption of the electricity industry happens. So we were lucky enough to to do this shortly before this happened. So there are no interruptions on uh, power during the interview. That was quite nice. Um, It's also the first time we did an interview that is not really covered or focused so much on computers because uh, Right to Repair South Africa is mostly focusing on cars. So in this interview, HA took the lead. Uh, because I don't even own a car, so I had no idea what we were talking about, but AJ did a great job. <laughs> well, and, and we talked about the vehicle aspect of it with, with Gay Gordon Byrne and, and a few others where, you know, it, it, is an aspect, it is a major aspect of this because the car manufacturers are also trying to take the, the right to, or the ability to repair things away from people. And, you know, I, I use the Jeep adage, Jeep's in the garage right behind me right now getting fixed. So... Because I got my, I lost my brakes because it's old, mm. but but the fact that I can go and do that, and put that in myself and not have to worry about taking it somewhere or taking it back to the dealer and spending ludicrous amounts of money to fix something, and and the, the fact that you know, there's lots of stuff that I can that you can do to these things is sort of what's what's disappearing now. Like the newer cars, you can't always do that too, 
and especially in places like you know as we're going to learn in South Africa, there's a lot of a lot of that. Yeah, um, which is interesting because people outside of Africa think that in Africa you can get everything because people are sticking to the old stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but it's not like that. Not so easy at all. Well, it's also um, funny to hear the the disconnect between Africa and here because he was talking about you know what was it a luxury car a Chrysler. That's in the U.S. Like the Chrysler is not a luxury car. You know that's it's that's just a a car. You know, but but there it's considered something totally different. And same thing same thing with Jeep here. Here in the U.S., you know, you're, they Jeep almost dares you to do something to their car, to their to the car. You know, you buy a brand new, and it's like, no, 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 put huge lifts on it and giant tires and drive it into the lake and whatnot. It's cool. It's whatever. That's what it's built for. Whereas over there, it's a whole different idea, a whole different ball game. They do not want you to do that, which blows my mind because that's what what it's made for. Hmm. But you know, what are you gonna do? And speaking of Africa, maybe we should put the first kind of news that's related to that. Um, Pleasant Green actually made a new series. Um, we talked to him, Ben Tyler, a while ago, and he's mm. actually now helping a person in need from Cameroon. And, yes, he is. Um, yeah, so I don't know if you saw the the videos I asked you to. When it came to Joel in Liberia, he actually sent a digital camera to him so he, right, he right. could do photos and 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 publish them in a book thanks to indiegogo and the project being successfully funded and in this case this woman actually is good at drawing um he sent her money for uh, getting an ipad and a pen so mm -hmm. she's going to draw and let's see how okay. that is going to um get the forty thousand dollars for the surgery in the u.s we'll so uh, ben taylor is really big on on this africa thing yes and, um, so well, well, we will definitely link to that you definitely should watch it it's gonna be down there and it's actually it's there, um, there it's starting it's starting with um this is not a scam hmm. yeah <laughs> okay <laughs> uh, interesting story so uh, way to go ben really great yeah, everyone should go look at it. Let's not give too much away about what, what happens and how it goes and whatnot, but everyone exactly. should look. The link is down there or over there or so, somewhere. It's somewhere down there to go, go yeah. look for that. Okay, so Demosyn deleted. Um, we got other news too, and that mm -hmm. would be two magazines have been released in January, and the first one would be Attitude, which mm -hmm. is released by Triad and Genesis Project. Right, right. Issue 20. And the other one is Rock and Roll 33. Um, by the writers of Lost Empire Roll. And it's interesting, um, I, 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 I didn't know about that, that they were actually working on it. So, um, really great, you know. Roll is like the biggest demo scene group when it comes to members, but not really that active. <laughs> That's so, that's what you know. RPG, the demo group that I, I guess I'm still in. Actually, that's what it was like when I when I joined. We had a roster that was ludicrous. We had like 25 people, and nobody knew how to get in touch with any of them. Like they were they were long gone, but we just kept them around. So, 
Yeah, but actually in this case, so Rock and Roll 32 was released in 2018, mm -hmm. so two years ago, and Rock and Roll 31 was released in 2003. Okay, well... That's quite a gap! It is, it is, yes, yes. You know, that's quite a gap. But hey, it's getting done. We're not the only disc mag left, I guess. Yeah, Because others still true. doing it. And um, other news in the disc magazine world, Digital Talk, um, the German magazine, actually announced that um, it's going to stop. And mm -hmm. Digital Talk, as the name is implying already, is a German disc mag, and uh, it, it's called a talk disc mag because yeah. um, you had messages like between seniors, and you would get answers to your messages in the next issue. And um, this talking aspect and the, the staff who took over didn't really, um, well, motivate people to go on with that. So those kind of messages were um, getting smaller in the amount of the mm -hmm. newer issues. Um, of course, they also did other things like game reviews, party reports, and all that stuff, all in German. It's pretty sad to see a German disc mag go, because I, I, I had it connected to my early C64 days. And um, it's, it's sad, but that's the way it goes. Um, right. Yeah, yeah. So let's jump to Africa. Yes. Whoosh. <laughs> this evening, actually, today, we are talking to Gunter Schmitz from Right to Repair South Africa. Hello, Gunter. Nice to Hi, meet yeah. you. Hello, nice to meet you. And um, in the call is also HJ. Yes, like usual. <laughs> so, yeah, like usually. Hi, it's AJ. interesting um, because... Actually, in your signature, you say, you say German Autoworks. Mm -hmm. And um, in your homepage biography, it also says you, are, you studied in Munich. Mm -hmm. So I guess this right to repair South Africa has a connection with Germany in a way. Um, well, maybe to the extent that I was exposed to the kind of right to repair legislation. Um, which started in the European Union while I was still working in Germany. Um, and then um, I came to South Africa in 2007 and I started um, in my own business uh, workshops and I joined the, um, the Motor Industry Workshop Association. And they kind of spearheaded the topic of right repair in South Africa. And um, because I'd um, seen some of um, it in Europe before, um, I got involved there and then um, was kind of made chairman of the Right Repair South Africa um, campaign. Um, so it's kind of my my hobby or my <laughs> part-time job that I'm doing um, besides running my normal business. I see. Now we so talked about, yeah. Um, yeah, sorry. Well, we talked to a few other people for Right to Repair a couple of months ago when we did our, our Right to Repair month. And this is our kind of extension of that, I suppose. Um, and when we started looking at this, we were mostly looking at um, phones and you know laptops and stuff like consumer electronics, which 
which are not repairable and uh, or, or are being now made not to be repairable. Um, so when we talked to uh, Gay Gordon Byrne a couple uh, a couple months ago, um, she mentioned the fact that the right to repair movement was actually like a lot of um, automobile stuff and farm equipment, which I never even thought of. I, a tractor is a tractor, you know, and I never it never occurred to me that this sort of thing would be would would translate to that. But but it is. Yeah, I think the, the, the origin, and I think that's the way the right repair movement started, was in the in the automotive industry. And obviously, a car is an expensive investment. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, there's a lot of, you know, there are a lot of independent repairers out there and have been for, for many decades. And um, then um, what the independent repair industry started experiencing was that the manufacturers tried to close off the market, you know, keep it to themselves with the objective of selling only their spare parts and mm-hmm. um, the side effect was of that was that sometimes it just became um, unviable to repair a car so it just got too expensive to um, to keep an older car on the road um, and um, also they started pushing the independent repairers out of the marketplace um, so that's where in the U.S. and Europe, the independent repairers started to um, um, counter that um, and got um, well, the first legislation on the way about you know, 15, 20 years ago, just to you know, kind of to make sure that they stay in business. Um, and obviously, a positive side effect to that is um, that, especially in a country like South Africa, where where parts are very expensive, but the labor is a lot cheaper than Europe, is that it, you know it, it's um, becomes economically viable to keep a car for longer to keep it running so it benefits the consumer to to a great extent as well because it um, it allows more competition but also it allows different repair methods i mean just to give you an example um we just had a, a bmw x6 in where one of the handbrake actuators um didn't work anymore um so it's an you know, electric parking brake so there's mm-hmm. a little motor which applies the brake um BMW's repair method is you place the new actuator, which um, is well, in South Africa about 20,000 rand, so that's in Euro term about 1,200, 1,300 euros. Um, so we took the thing out, um, took it apart, um, got some, um, found some videos overseas of guys who had repaired them before, um, and it was basically just a contact broken off on the motor. So that's the kind of um, thing we're dealing with, um, and is it especially in South Africa where the the, the labor rate is maybe 30, 40 euros an hour? Um, you know, you can easily spend um, 10 hours on something like that to repair it right, um, right. before buying a new part, um, which is not always the case in Germany and the US, but um, but even there, it's more and more often the case that it makes sense to repair those components. Um, while the manufacturer's philosophy is you, you replace the whole component. Mm-hmm. Um, but where we are struggling more and more is that um, these components get programmed into the, um, into the um, network of the, the car. Um, so where, we, where, we, um, where it gets more and more difficult is that these components get um, programmed as part of the whole CAN bus network of the car. And um, then when you've done a repair or where, for example, sometimes you can replace the motor as well, which you get for about 30 euros overseas, um, 
you can't, um, you know, it doesn't work in the car anymore because you need the, the coding. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's um, kind of the, one of the things we're fighting for to get access to this, um, to that information and the, um, that this um, um, coding is opened up not just to the manufacturers but to the independent aftermarket. Or basically what we're saying is um, the person who bought the car um, it's his car, so therefore he should um, have the right to have access to that information. Um, and that's also, you mentioned John Deere um, and the tractors earlier. Mm-hmm. Um, that's exactly the, the issue that the farmers have on why they are quite supportive of the right to repair campaign in the US. Um, they've got a um, you know harvester, and you know, I mean, those things you're talking about uh, way over $100,000. And then um, there have been cases where they just need a software update or where they need some programming done, and the John Deere dealer charges them um, four thousand um, dollars to do something like that. Right. Um, while it's basically just you know plugging in a computer, getting access to the information, and you're busy. You know, it's it's a process of maybe one or two hours. Yeah, it's it's for me astounding that a farmer has suddenly to deal with software and firmware updates for <laughs> for his vehicles. You know, I mean. I mean, unlike you are from a newer generation, I don't know if they ever dealt with computer and software stuff or hacks in the past, you know. Um, I guess that is also the change of the modern world and suddenly you are confronted with a new problem because I guess um, they they usually have this mindset of, okay, I'm just replacing my old tractor with a new tractor, it shouldn't make a, a lot of difference. And suddenly it is making a lot of difference. I don't think that happens very often, though, because I see, you know, when 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 you buy a tractor, that's an investment. And you're going to have that thing for years and years and years or a harvester or whatever else you're using, you know, because that's they cost a boatload of money. And and I guess, you know, as with everything else, they get more complicated as they go along. Like I said, in my brain, a tractor is a tractor. I've got a, I've got an old Jeep that I, I work on all the time. And I, mm. you know, when when people ask me about it, you know, I usually explain it. It's basically a tractor engine. You know, it's simple. There's not really much in it. But evidently, tractor engines are much more complicated than than I have been led to believe all these years. Well, I mean, these days, I mean, it's been, you get... Um... Uh, the, the tractor, so you get on the or even the the equipment that plants the seeds. Um, they they're GPS controlled and they change um, the the distance of how the seeds are planted depending on the kind of soil and the um, the amount of water you get mm-hmm. at a certain spot. So basically, as as the as the farmer drives over the field, um, it, the um, planting machine doesn't just put the same amount of seeds um, in every square meter. It varies that depending on the on the soil and depending on the um, the water and the light, and the plants will get at that spot. Right. So obviously, which is uh, to me that's that's great technology because now you you're optimizing without using fertilizers and things like that. You're optimizing um, use of the ground, um, but obviously that's you know it's high tech equipment that you need right. um, to do that. So, what is the argument that these the the dealers are making, or not, not the dealers, but the uh, manufacturers are making for why people shouldn't have the access to do this? 
Well, the the standard argument in South Africa that we come across is that they say it's now, but it's um, it's not safe. The the quality isn't going to be okay. Um, uh, you know, you're going to get people hacking into it. You, people are going to fit um, um, yeah lesser quality parts. Um, that's the typical argument. Um, but um, there's, I think, well, from our point of view, number one, it's not the manufacturer's decision. You know, it's like the consumer bought the car. It's his decision how he has his car repaired. I think right. it's that should be a, just a general vital principle if you live in a, <laughs> right. in, a, if, um, in a free world. You know, you can't have somebody prescribing to you what you do to something that you bought. Um, and um, then it's up to the legislator to say, you know, for example, for certain brake pads and, but, and the international regulations on that to make sure that obviously brake pads have to fill certain safety criteria. But these um, regulations are there. They're in place all over the world. Um, so that's up to the, the, to the legislator to enforce that. Mm-hmm. Um, and also with regard to the hacking, I mean, what I can see, here, especially in South Africa, we, for a lot of things we don't get access, um, well, we do get access after all, um, but then it's normally with a um, hacked version from China or from Russia, um, right. which you know, if you if you obviously when you've got a you know established business with a reputation, that's not really what you want to use. Um, you would much rather um, go to the to the manufacturer and say, listen, you know, send me the equipment, um, let me get access to your software. Here are the IDs. You know, these are the person that's going to do it. You can do all the security checks and vetting of the person that you do with your own dealerships. Um, but as I said, at the moment, they don't allow us to. So you, then you go on the internet and you find the information, you right. get it. Right. <laughs> but it's, as I said, it's not always the channels you would ideally want to use, but you get forced to use those channels. And I think, to be quite honest, I think, um, I think there's even a, a side effect of that is that suddenly the market for these um, hack tools is this market for those hack tools actually um, becomes much bigger. So for the people that are up to no good, um, they have access to more technology. Right. Well, if the manufacturers would just open it up and control it, um, you know, there would be um, yeah much better checks in place, and you you would you, you could make sure that you know there's. Um, um, the established businesses um, with with a registered address where you've got um, IDs of people using it, um, they have access and um, people who do uh, up to no good, you could exclude them. Mm-hmm. You mentioned at the beginning that, um, as you said, in South Africa, it's even harder to get certain information or certain parts shipped to you. So... Is it kind of that in this whole discussion of right to repair, Africa is kind of neglected, neglected or something, or um, in a second row? Because personally, I have to say, for, for us, it's the, the first time we do an interview with somebody from South Africa. Normally, people don't have Africa in the picture. They and, mostly think about Europe and America. Yeah, and, and, so. and people need to also realize that Africa, when you think of Africa, you think of, you know, the savannah and lions and stuff like that. And it really is not, that's not what all of Africa is. I've known, you know, I, I, I've known some people who have gone to South Africa. Hi, Jen. And and it's very, I mean, it's it's very industrialized, very modern, very you know, it's it's the sort of thing, same kind of thing you'd you'd expect from 
Europe or North America, except that the cream soda is green for some reason. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. Obviously, we've, um, there is quite advanced um, technology and industry in South Africa as well. Um, but also, even in even in other parts of Africa, I mean, if you think about um, um, Angola or Nigeria, um, in um, and their um, oil rigs, they use modern technology. And the shipping industry, they use modern technology. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, it's not as um, you, know, you get rural areas where you've got very little technology. Um, but still, even there, it's coming in more and more. And especially, I mean, if you take um, for example cell phones. Um, it's cell phones have a, um, play a far more important role in in Africa than in. Um, then in Europe, for example, yes, because there is no other telephone networks, <laughs> mm-hmm. and there is no banking facility. So that's why the the first cell phone banking apps came from Africa because there wasn't any other facility to transfer money. Mm-hmm. Right, right. You you also were quoted saying in January. I saw that it it at a platform saying bis community and you said right to prepare is not just for the motor industry yeah i mean i think the basic um as it was started in the motor industry because of the motor industry being a yeah kind of an old industry very advanced um but it's um but some aspects of right to repair um which is stem from different industry for example in the u.s you've got the magnus moss warranty act um which was which came up when um, when the first, you know, PC started being widespread and people wanted to make changes to that PC and at that stage some manufacturers said, oh, no, but if you open that box up, your warranty is void, doesn't matter what mm-hmm. happens. Um, and that's, I think, on the US, the Magnuson Moss Warranty Act came about saying that if, you know, if um, just because you um, fitted a different component to your equipment, whatever it is, doesn't matter if it's a car, if it's a um, computer or... Um, have it repaired by somebody independent, um, they can't use it as an argument to avoid the whole warranty of the equipment. Right. So, but in South Africa, it's kind of when we remember when we started the, the discussion around right repair, um, there was still the mindset that um, now only only in the motor industry you want that. It's no other industry does it. Um, but we quickly corrected them and said, no, no, just saying that. <laughs> 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 uh, and also, um, just because um, um, other industry also block the consumer from having his <laughs> equipment repaired doesn't make it right, you know. It's, it's right, not a good right. idea. And we're seeing it more and more because the new uh, the new Apple laptops are coming out with uh, with security chips in there that will pro- block you from any from using any components that are not Apple, you know, approved. <laughs> and there's evidently um, a diagnostics tool that you can't that doesn't exist outside of you know Apple authorized. You know, dealers even even the Apple stores don't have them. In the free competitive market environment, um, you should get access to those tools. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm I'm very much a supporter of um, of um, free markets, um, and but that um, shouldn't just apply to to government opening up the market. Um, it should actually just as much apply to government making sure that. Um, um, big players don't close off the market um, for their own purpose. I think that's where government has to play a very important role. Mm-hmm. I wonder who is the most exhausting 
um, motor company when it comes to car, uh, for example, compared to Apple. I mean, uh, for example, HJ always says, like, Ford... Ford is always open to help and says, like, okay, you can modify your car, no problem. No, 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 no. I never said no, that. Wasn't it? No, wasn't that, it? Was, that was Jeep. Jeep, Jeep. Okay. Which is, which is Jeep? actually, but, it, but, that, but that falls under, because that's owned by Fiat, which, okay. you know, but it's only the Jeep division of that, which is like, you know, you want to break something, go ahead. If you want to put giant tires on it, whatever, that, that's cool. You're still under warranty. Uh, if you tried to do it with a Fiat 500, I'm sure that they would not be happy about that at all. You see, I think, but it depends on the market as well. In, in because I would have thought, also from my experience in Germany, that um, the German manufacturers, Volkswagen and BMW, are, and Mercedes are the ones that are most closed off. But in South Africa, we've actually experienced almost the opposite. We actually here, it's, um, Volkswagen has been um, the first company to say that for Volkswagen and Audi, if you use um, an independent repair or independent service company, it's not going to avoid the warranty. Um, while here in South Africa, we find that um, Jeep Chrysler is actually being extremely restrictive. Um, but probably also because of the, you know, it's a smaller market. It uh, depends on the importer. So um, I could, yeah, I think it's it's very much, um, you know, depend on the market where the company is active. You know, if you take Toyota, for example, in California, they love selling the Prius um, yeah. as the hybrid model. Um, while in many African countries, they love selling their um, um, the big Land Cruisers with yes. the V8 engines, <laughs> yeah, you know, exactly. they, they adopt very much to the market and whatever, whatever gives them a good image there. That's what they do. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting talking to so many people in this field. How how much connected you are, you know, um, you know a lot about the German market, obviously, but also about the American market. And also when we are when we ask gay, gay she also said like, oh yeah, I I, I know some people in North Africa who do this also. So it seems like you are interconnected from all yes, over is, the place. Yeah, that's actually interesting. There is an um, international right repair coalition, which is, again, kind of in the motor industry. Uh, I, um, I hope it's going to start spreading to other industries as well. Um, and which is um, kind of also was beheaded together with the colleagues from the US and from Europe. Um, but there's also um, Australians on board, sort of Africans, and trying to think. Um, there was another country which was one of the founding members, but now it's we've got um, members from Brazil, from Russia, from um, China has recently joined in. So um, it's um, it's um, spreading to what all the developing countries. I think all the the developed countries they all have it, but all the developing countries are catching on now as well. Um, and as I said in the beginning, I think in, especially in the developing countries, it almost it's even more important because um, you know we've got less dense networks. If um, we've got um, um, uh, uh, lower labor rates, but the the parts are not always readily available, um, and issues like that. I mean, for example, something you, you will never consider in Germany, but in, in South Africa, you get towns where you have to drive over a thousand kilometers to get to the next Citroen dealership. And um, now imagine you're there with a, you've got a Citroen and um, you're first for the, you're forced for the first five years to drive a thousand kilometers um, for every single repair and service. Right. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> it's unbelievable. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yes, it's a, it's a bit like, like Apple stores in Germany. 
they yeah. are pretty far away, you know. <laughs> and when I called to, to Apple Germany support, they said like, oh, you can go to the next Apple store. I'm like, well, the next Apple store is 400 kilometers away. Thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so, yes, I, I can understand that. Yeah. Um, so so are, are there any success stories your association made in the recent well, we years? We had um, the the competition commission started investigating, um, and then they called uh, kind of all the stakeholders, you know, industry, um, different parts of the industry, the um, insurance industry, the automobile associations on board, and asked them for their input. And then they came up with a um, kind of like a voluntary code of conduct, which they kind of asked all the manufacturers to under to sign. Um, but then after trying it for a year, the, um, they said, oh, okay, we're not getting any further with this because except for BMW and Volkswagen, um, I think I think it was those two, I'm not 100% sure, but I think it was those two, um, nobody wanted to, to sign that voluntary code. Um, but now the Competition Commission has said, okay, um, if that's the case, then we're going to publish guidelines. Um, and um, I think that's actually even better for us because it's... Um, it's even almost a stronger tool than a voluntary code of conduct. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at the European Union, for example, that's also um, the, the um, Commission says we've got the competition law enshrined in the um, European Treaty, and um, here these are our guidelines how we interpret um, um, the treaty with regard to your industry. Um, and um, I think that's luckily one thing is. No manufacturer is keen on being investigated by the competition commission, um, and it's I think it's similar to that in South Africa. So, so now we we're currently waiting for that um, for those guidelines, um, but we're quite confident that that's going to um, yeah have a major effect on the market. And what what we can actually see now from a business point of view is that um, the a lot of manufacturers are starting to change. Um, the way they're interacting, they're, they're starting to make um, uh, certain special tools available, even you know, um, borrowing them to independent repairers, um, which never happened in the past. Um, in the past, it was they weren't even allowed to hand it out. Now they kind of now it's supported from certain manufacturers that they um, borrow those tools, so you can do the repairs. Um, it. Some of them, others are still kind of blocking everything. Hmm. Hmm. So the goal is to make it necessary for all car manufacturers to at least give some level of support and um, parts and right to repair to, well, third party garages. Mm-hmm. Well, the, the goal is actually we've got um, the, I think, part of right repair covers um, various aspects. I mean, the, the, the overarching Aspects that we say we um, the market must be open to um, anybody um, that wants to repair a certain motor vehicle, <clears throat> and I think the same principle can be applied to other industries as well. And the first aspect of that is that um, if a car is on a warranty, then um, um, the warranty shouldn't be voided just because um, uh, another person worked on the car. I mean, there's mm-hmm. there's no logical reason why. Um, if somebody fits brake pads on a car um, and the engine fails, they say, no, but um, your warranty is voided because somebody else fitted the brake pads. 
I mean, it's like just so. Right. Obviously, if you know if somebody does a service and he puts the oil in the wrong oil in the car and the engine seizes, yes, then it's you know um, then right. the manufacturer can very easily prove and say, but listen, this is the reason for this for the engine seizing, and we don't cover that. So that's all fair and reasonable. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> the second aspect in South Africa is, um, and I think that's a specific South African thing, is a lot of cars in South Africa are sold um, with a so-called motor plane or extended um, warranty. So um, when you buy a, a new car, especially the, the kind of luxury cars, BMW, Mercedes, Volvo, Land Rover, um, Chrysler, then for the first five years... Um, wait, wait, wait. Hey, did, did, you, did, you, did you lump Chrysler in with luxury cars? Yeah, it's in South Africa they consider a luxury car. You know? Oh like, my god! We also, we also have GWM and Tata here. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so for the first five years, you kind of you locked in with the manufacturer. Um, so that's the second aspect where we say, okay, if you want to sell an add-on product like that, it's fine. But it, the consumer, when he buys the car, should be able to choose and say, no, actually, I'm, I've got my independent garage that I want to use, or I want to service my own car. I just want to buy the car from you, or I want, or if he says, "Well, you know what? Great, um, I'll buy the that extended um, uh, warranty and the service plan with it." Then it's a yeah, separate product. Um, third aspect is then access to technical information um, and tools. Um, the parts we normally do get are there actually also certain parts we also don't get access, um, but that's a very small part. But access to to technical information for repairs to special tools to um, and special tools that we include the programming and um, software updates and then the last aspect which is we kind of got on the radar it's more topic in Europe at the moment is the topic of, of uh, telematics or um, basically where um, you know if you um, got a modern car these days um, um, and it, um, it's due for service or you need brake pads, it will tell you on the display. And um, nowadays it will not just tell you on the display, it will tell you, by the way, here's your nearest dealership and mm. should we make a booking for you and we'll send that information to the dealership. Um, so that's also so it's on a topic of telematics where, um, also, again, in competition, no, it would be considered as um, unfair practice to to send the customer there to a specific network and not open it up to anybody competing in that market space. You know, similar to to Google had that issue with their, um, you know, directing um, um, certain searches to their own um, 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 what was that, um, price comparison website. Right, right. So those are kind of the aspects that we're, we're tackling. And... Um, yeah, as I said, I think it's, um, you know, thinking about other industries, we probably have similar um, topics in any industry. I mean, if you've got a, um, obviously for farming equipment, the same would apply, but also for for um, for a stove or a fridge, you know. Yeah. There was, a, by the way, one very, just thinking of another very interesting, uh, one of the arguments that was brought up by the, actually by the dealerships, not by the manufacturers of Africa, was that, um, they said that in the aircraft industry, it would never be allowed that an independent repairer services an aircraft. Um, but then, just a bit of research 
Um, and we kind of said actually quite the opposite. Um, <laughs> the, the aircraft industry, Boeing and Airbus, doesn't even feature under the top 10 companies for servicing aircraft. Right, right. Um, yeah, exactly. So, I, I, uh, yeah, I read the same about Lufthansa recently. Yeah. yeah. So there you've got an industry which is really safety critical where you don't want anything going wrong. Um, obviously, there, there are rules in place by the um, aviation authorities who is allowed to do what on the aircraft and when you have to service it, etc. Um, but there's nobody saying, no, but it has to be Boeing or Airbus or um, um, Bombardier doing it. Right, right. Yeah, and, and usually, generally speaking, um, at least here in the U.S., the service that's done in the aircraft are done by the airport personnel. Yeah. You know, just, just people that happen to work there that aren't aligned with, you know, Boeing or any of the manufacturers. They just happen mm. to work at the airport. I guess the main difference here is if you repair whatever, if it's a car, a tractor, or an iPhone or whatever, if you repair it yourself as a layman who has no idea, who can barely hold a screwdriver, or if you are a qualified technician, I guess that is the difference here. And um, But I mean, it shouldn't I guess... make a difference. If I go out and I want to fix my car and I have no idea, because oh, that's, that's what I, you know, generally when something breaks on my car, my the the fun part of it is let's see if I can figure out how to fix this, and so I'll go out and I'll mess around with it until I can I can try to figure it out, and you know you look it up online. There's YouTube videos people doing it and whatnot, and and generally speaking, again my my car is exceedingly simple, so it's not that difficult to do too much on it. But I mean that that does carry over to a lot of different uh, vehicles where. Where even if you don't know how to do it and you want to learn how to do it, and and if you decide that you're going to go out and mess with the thing, if you didn't, you should be allowed to break your own stuff, essentially. If you know, if that's what you you know, if if you don't know what you're doing and you break it, oh well, I broke it. If that's my fault, and you know that you obviously reap the consequences. Your warranty might be expired or whatever. But but you should have that right to be able to service it yourself, whether you know what you're doing or not. I fully agree. I think it's just a, it should be the consumer's right to 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 choose where he has it repaired. And I mean, as I said, I'm in the industry, so obviously I want um, I don't you know I prefer consumers bringing their cars to um, me or one of my colleagues. I don't want to repair it yourself. But but again, it it should be your right to repair it yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, that, and if you if it's something you enjoy, um, who's going to stop you? I mean, I I love baking bread. So, um, <laughs> are the bakers right. going to come up with laws now to say you're not allowed to bake your own bread? You have to buy it from us because it's not safe. You know, you might you may get fungus in there. It's, it's the same principle. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, we have that. You know, where I am in the U.S. in in New Jersey, um, we have there's a law in in place, and we, I've talked about this quite a few times, where you're not allowed to pump your own gas. And and the reason behind it is that um, is that it's unsafe that the handling gasoline you know could cause a fire and all this stuff. But every other state, you know, there's 50 states in this country. Every place else, you're allowed to pump your own gas, and people aren't bursting into flames everywhere. But for some reason, just us, just the population of this state, is evidently too stupid to handle gasoline. Well, in in Germany, you don't even have the service of getting somebody to to put the right. gas in for you. Right, that's that's most of what you have elsewhere. You know, if I go to a different state, there's there's nobody there to help. There's and so there's someone inside if you got to pay for or 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 if you're if you're disabled, you can push a button and someone will come out and do it for you. But generally speaking, you you do it yourself. 
<laughs> but where, but yeah, where, but where I am, nope, you're not allowed to. <coughs> if you get out, you didn't even touch the thing. There's signs everywhere, like it's a, it's a, it's a federal offense or something to touch this thing, and you know, don't, don't <laughs> even think about it and whatnot. And and then, you know, when we when we spoke to to Gay, uh, she was talking about uh, where uh, she was, and I can't remember. I think it was New York, um, because people were they're trying to stop people from wow. leaving it unattended because. You know, when you pump your gas, you put the thing in, you click it back, and it locks in, and you walk away and do whatever you got to do. Well, they took away that locking mechanism, and so it, it took all of about 10 minutes before someone realized that they could just kind of stick their gas cap in there and, and keep it going, you know. <laughs> but but still, like, this this idea that something is, is unsafe and and that we shouldn't be allowed to do it because of that, and I lost my train of thought. Um, mm. How did I get on this? Well, actually, I learned for ele ele electric cars, yes. there are certain certifications you need because yes. of the high voltage batteries and right. so on. Well, and, and certain things like, like, you know, safety issues, like, you know, maybe, um, I, I don't know, I, I can't, I can't even think of, of obviously, you, you, for safe, there's certain safety things, you don't want to modify the car. In brakes, ways. for example. Right, exactly. Well, no, 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 because I should be able to change my <coughs> brakes. I shouldn't be able to remove my brakes, which I have done. Um, but I, I don't know. I don't know. There's, yeah, there's, no, I... there's hammering outside my house, and it's totally throwing my brain off. <laughs> I, I agree. I think it's, uh, again, it's um, obviously you need um, certain qualification in place, especially if you. Um, if you work on other people's equipment, yes. uh, you know, I think that's all good and fair. But that, but again, that qualification, the standards of that should be set, um, you know, by the the um, laws of whatever you know state or um, country you're living in. Um, <clears throat> it shouldn't be left up to to the manufacturer of that equipment to to decide right, right. on that. Uh, it shouldn't be their prerogative. Right. In, in other words, yeah. like like you can you can fix whatever you want in your car. You might not be able to. You not, might might not be allowed to drive it, but you can certainly mm. you certainly have the right to do it. You just can't, it's just not street legal because the the government says no 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 no. You need you know you need brake lights or you need your doors on or something like that. But but it's within my right to go and remove those things and just not drive the car. Yeah, I mean, it's like as I said, it's an aviation industry. They've got very clear. Mm -hmm. um, <coughs> qualifications who's allowed to work on the aircraft but again it doesn't really stop somebody unqualified from working on the aircraft right right um, he's not allowed to but <laughs> yeah. that, um, if, if you know if, if a company is reckless and says well you know um, we want to we don't want to pay for those expensive Lufthansa technicians we found some um, you know cheap guys standing on the side of the street and they're going to do the repair for us um that's yes. Then you hope that the aviation authority is going to step in and to shut them down. Um, but um, it's it's yeah. It's the legislator, the regulator. You should put that in place and not um, right, right. Um, not the manufacturer of equipment. Right. Interestingly, at the beginning, you mentioned that China recently joined the international right to repair movement, mm -hmm. and that's that's really surprising for me because I thought China China is more like governmental controlled. 
Yeah, but in China, obviously, you also, you get the, you also get the car manufacturers and you get the repairers. So it's from the repair side, from the independent repairers, um, <clears throat> which are mostly, I think, all over the world, very small businesses. Mm-hmm. Um, so they are um, kind of yeah, looking into that topic. They just um, started. Um, <clears throat> they were at the, um, when was it? Last year, I think one and a half years. Two years ago, no, last year, the um, Auto Mechanic and Frankfurt at the Right Trip Air Conference as well. Yeah, interesting. Um, as especially as you mentioned, um, third world countries that are also stepping in now. I guess that's also because in those countries, people are more um, focused on repairing rather than buying new because of the income level you have. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, I mean, as I said, if I compare now, if, if I compare um, South Africa and Germany directly, in South Africa, the labor rate um, in the workshop is you know, maybe about 40, 50 euros. Um, that's already, you, know, you get, it even goes quite a lot below that, um, but then it's um, not necessarily qualified or there's more people kind of working from home. But for established business with a qualified technician who's got all the tools, etc. <clears throat> While in Germany, you're probably looking at 160 euros an hour, 180 euros an hour at a dealership. Um, and um, so that's you know, kind of three to four times the price. Um, while the, the spare parts are normally half the price in, in Germany. Um, so now we're um, in, we're in Germany, it just doesn't make sense to repair a component. We just you know, swap it out, put a new component in from a, from a financial point of view. Um, in South Africa, it's it you know it just makes sense to repair it, mm-hmm. um, especially if the car is older. When you say, okay, you know this repair actually, um, it might only last for two three years, not for another eight or ten years, um, but the car is already 12, 14 years old. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So and that's the same here. There... You know the um, the parts are fairly inexpensive here, but the dealerships are always they cost so much more than an independent shop. You know, we we I, we always like to kind of we call them stealerships because they're you know they're because they they are. I mean, you're 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 paying easily five or six times more than you would at a regular independent repair shop, depending on where you are, um, to fix the same thing. And usually, it's just a matter of you know taking taking out a module and sticking in another one, and then you walk away. And again, at the dealership, that 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 little. That little, you know, uh, resistor or something costs <coughs> seventy bucks, but I can go to an auto parts store in town and order it for for fifteen. Hmm. And it's the same just, manufacturer, same company that makes it too. You know, it's there's no difference in in quality. Yeah. I think part of the problem is, and that's also we we actually added that to as part as one of our objectives objectives for right repair in South Africa. Obviously, the dealerships. Um, they have to comply with a lot of um, rules set up by the OEMs, and those mm-hmm. they make it that makes it very expensive for them. Right. Um, so um, we kind of part of our agenda is also to say we want to you know kind of level the playing field a bit in that in that complete supply chain, you know, in that in that um, repair chain from between the manufacturers and the dealerships um, and the part suppliers. Um, <clears throat> because yeah, so, you know, to a certain extent, you can't um, really blame the dealerships because they're sometimes you know forced to buy extremely expensive equipment. I mean, in South Africa now, um, in um, 
for um, Audi, they request um, all the so-called approved panel beaters or chassis repairers to have um, aluminium welding bay. Um, that's equipment that's um, you know, you're looking at close to 100,000 euros mm-hmm. um, that each of them has to have. But there is um, actually, I think, not even half a dozen aluminium Audis on the road in South Africa. Um, so, so now you've got something like 50 shops which have to buy this equipment of, um, um, for 100,000 euros. Um, but um, yeah. um, you've got um, no cars that are going to go on there. Um, and so now those poor guys have to make that money up somewhere. And mm-hmm. that's where just, so all they can do is push up the price for the, for the other cars. Right. And plus, I don't know how dealerships work outside of the U.S. I know in the U.S. a lot of times you get a quota from the manufacturer on how many cars you need to sell. And towards the end of that month or towards the end of that, that time period when you need to sell it, they'll, the dealerships will take a loss just to move the cars, even if it means that they're losing money on it. Because if they, <coughs> if they don't sell the vehicles, if they don't sell a certain number, then they lose support from the manufacturer and it's a whole process. So... They're trying to, they have to recoup that from the money that they're losing from having to buy equipment, the money they're losing from having to move cars that they can't afford to move. And and they got to get it back somewhere. So then, you know, your service department, we, we charge exorbitant rates and try to find things that aren't actually wrong. And that's that's how you manage to stay in business. Mm-hmm. And it's not a, not a great system. I mean, that's a whole other, that's a whole other uh, uh, rabbit hole to go down and, and how the dealerships or how the, how the manufacturers are screwing the dealerships on this. But, um, but yeah, that's, there's, there's lots of issues with that. Yeah. Well, I think again, it's from a, if you look at it from a, you know, economic point of view and from a market perspective, it's not good for the market. You know, it's not, it's not good. Mm-hmm. Um, cause now obviously the, um, the, the dealerships, they start going down that or the, the manufacturers start going down that route because they can, um, they can make the, you know, they can reduce the price um, of the car when they sell the makeup on the price um, when they um, or make up for that when they sell spare parts and when they sell equipment to the dealerships. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, if one starts, then the others have to follow. Um, and it's a bit like you know, like the printer industry, you know, where they where they sell your printer for almost next to nothing, but then. Um, they yeah. make the money on the cartridges. Um, it's actually quite interesting. I find in the printer industry, there seems to be a bit of a um, certain segment of the market, a bit of a reverse trend where you now you get the refillable ink printers where you can just pour in your own ink. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, yeah. um, but again, I think it's uh, that's where I wish that the the government would um, you know would kind of make sure that. Um, competition really works and just you know stop um, any form of anti-competitive behavior mm-hmm. um, because it's uh, there's um, um, quite interesting st- studies out there that um, um, in the end it, it harms the economy as a whole mm-hmm. um, um, when you start you know when when building inefficiencies like that into the economy it's not good for anybody in the long run right hmm so what's what's the next step the next goal you have well first goal is you know, kind of let's uh, waiting getting those guidelines out there from the competition commission 
and then obviously we have to start um, well monitor the the um, the, um, the manufacturers and educate educate the public educate the the um, the um, workshops out there the independent workshops um, and just tell them listen okay if you if you come across those things you know that's that's um, uncompetitive behavior um, submit a complaint to the competition commission so that it's so that they stop it right um, I think that's next up and then kind of then from a long term um, point of view that in terms of what else we want to get in there is the topic of telematics so that's in the current kind of um, code of conduct that we've seen um, that's not covered yet um, but I think also in South Africa we're not we're not um, as far yet as you know Europe or the US with that type of topic um, but I think it's something we have to keep an eye on um, and probably, um, ideally start tackling it before it's widespread in the industry. Hmm. So How's how that? can people help actually? Um, well I think, I mean, you, you see right repair movements, I think, all over the world now, and I think it doesn't matter what industry it's in. Um, so I think it's it's um, any type of um, support for those movements on, you know, just liking it on Facebook, sharing it. Um, I think all those things are positive. Um, and um, and obviously something, unfortunately, we don't have in South Africa, but what you have in the U.S. is, um, sometimes where the, the population, um, I think Massachusetts, that was the case where the population was asked to vote on the right repair bill. Um, and yeah, so kind of, you know, help to, um, help to campaign the politicians, make them aware why this is an important topic. Mm -hmm. um, and just with, yeah, with, if you're busy, if you have a, you know, contact to politicians, talk to them about it or, um, um, if you don't, you know, just kind of a like on Facebook also helps. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, you wanted to ask something, Edge. Yeah, no, Sorry. I was just going to say that as a as a as a um, as a service provider for vehicles, um, how do you feel about like how they're making them more um, vehicles will become more disposable? You know, uh, again, mine is is. 23 years old and it's got almost 400,000 kilometers on it and it's still chugging away no problem and the cars they make now a lot of these things they have you know the gearboxes are sealed and you know it's it's lifetime fluid you never have to change it but but again they're and they're putting in like a defined lifetime what's the lifetime of a vehicle you know and it's becoming they're becoming almost like consumer electronics now in which you're supposed to have them for five years throw them away and get a new one <laughs> and the idea of keeping something running for 20, 25, 30 years, that's not a, people don't, that's not a consideration anymore. Now it's all about like, you make this thing that's kind of cheaply made, it's going to fall apart in five or 10 years, and then you can't even service the parts that it's got. You know, it's like, that's, that, is that, is that frustrating? <clears throat> um, well, I think to be honest, I do think it's also the consumer wanting that. You know, there are a lot of people out there. If, you know, if you look at the people buying new cars, they normally keep them for three to five years, and then they buy another new car. Um, so, in the same with, um, I must admit, I'm I'm an iPhone user, and when it comes to my iPhone, I'm the type of person I buy a new one every two years. You know, it comes with a contract, and, right, and right. <laughs> um, even the um, I don't even you know all the new f uh, functionalities and what it can do. I don't really use, but. Um, <laughs> So, but so it's, I think there is um, 
it's you know I don't think the the manufacturers are doing that because of a you know it's um, because they want to destroy the environment or because they don't care. It's, it is to be quite honest. I think the consumer is often asking for that because it's convenient. Hmm. Um, so I think there's would be good if the consumers sometimes um, think about more. Do they really need that? Or do they really want that? Um, and but then obviously there is um, obviously there's always a second market. I mean we know all cars they always get sold on to um, to another user where people keep the same car for a long period of time um, and um, so um, for those users there should be you know um, the, the, um, the possibility to repair those products the same with cell phones I mean I don't throw my phone away after you've used it for two years um, you know it gets, gets passed on and especially in Africa I mean phones have a much longer longer lifespan and again, I think also it should be um, there should be a bit of an obligation on the manufacturer to make sure that actually the lifespan is there. You know, it's right, not right. Uh, that you can um, that you can get a screen. And you know what? If, if Apple doesn't want to produce screens for phones older than five years, that's fine. I'm sure there's um, other companies out there that will gladly produce that screen. Mm-hmm. But then make your iPhone in such a way that you can put that other screen on there. Um, not just Apple screen, I think, and, and that's again. That's I think that's where that's to me that's the the job of the the lawmaker to put those rules in place and say, okay, listen, Apple, you know what, um, you you must allow other manufacturers to produce screens for your phone as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not going to force you to produce screens for those phones for the next thirty years, um, but it open up the market, let the market decide what they want. Right. Right. Well, from my side, I got it all covered. Yeah, yeah. So, is there <laughs> is there a website or something that people can go to find out what what where to how they can help and what what you're doing, where you are, and and follow along with this? Well, especially specifically for South Africa, we've got the um, rightrepair.za.org um, website. That's right, then the um, number two um, repair.org.za. Um, um, and then otherwise, I think if you, um, as I said, we are yeah, at the moment just active in the motor industry, but um, you know, anybody Googling right repair, I think we'll find plenty of information um, from all over the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, think it's, I think it's very exciting. And, uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I love it. I mean, as I said, I do that as a, it's my, my hobby. Right, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Well, I found it very interesting to also yeah. see an African perspective from it. <laughs> and that is also why I was um, so much looking forward to get also your side of it, you know. Um, because normally it's just Europe and America and the rest is kind of not pictured. Right. And um, right. yeah, right. Yeah, yeah I think I mean, another interesting area might be Eastern Europe. I find, you know, these days when you look for repair methods, um, Often you find something on YouTube um, coming from Eastern Europe. They every, you know, they every find every clue about figuring something out, repairing yeah. um, something that you know that um, um, in Germany you would just throw away and buy new. So. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. As a kid of the nineties, I remember that throw away, buy new mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. And nowadays things are so rare and expensive on eBay because we did throw them away in the nineties. Right. 
yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that's that's um, you know with the auto industry too. We had um, a couple of years back uh, there was a cash for clunkers program in the U.S. that that um, it provided um, like a refund or 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 money off a new car if you traded in an old car that was between a certain age and had a certain miles per gallon and whatnot. And so a lot of vehicles from the the 80s and 90s and early 2000s were destroyed because people were getting them and turning them over into this this program and it totally wrecked the used car market you used to be able to go out and find a used car for a thousand dollars or less and now you can't find anything for under under two grand that is that runs and works you know people are selling piles of rust you know two thousand dollars you know just <laughs> needs a little work <laughs> it's still a trophy my grandfather used it yeah exactly yeah right ran the last time we tried it need some need some tlc it's like a seat and a steering wheel one wheel and some rust <laughs> great 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 mm. yeah all righty yeah. thanks for taking the time okay. Peter. Yeah, pleasure it was nice chatting to you guys with a yeah, nice interesting conversation yeah i learned a lot today <laughs> about cars too okay <laughs> <laughs> all right okay yes, indeed okay cheers guys good night right, thank cheers. you bye bye okay good morning to you <laughs> <Thank> <laughs> that's okay. true okay, bye. bye okay so that was yeah. gunther schmidt from um right to repair south africa um, Jörg's got the homepage, so he's going to tell us what it is. Yes, so it's right, that's written out as a word, to repair, also a word, dot org dot za. So, right to repair dot org dot za. We'll put links to all of that in the description. They also have Twitter, they've got all sorts of other stuff, and we will link to everything. Yes. You should be seeing it on the screen right now, if you're watching the video version of this, which you should. Yeah. Um, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. You know where to find us. Uh, it's a content, a podcast, rather. It's podcast at sceneworld.org. Exactly. Sceneworld.org uh, is our uh, homepage. Mm -hmm. And we so, are on Instagram, sceneworld64. Yeah, we are that. Twitter, scene <laughs> underscore world. But it's, it's not about us. And and we are also on Facebook, SceneWorld64. Mm -hmm. so. <laughs> the intro is getting longer. And it's the, like, well, the outro is getting longer. The outro, too. Yeah, so so until next time, we'll see you. Thanks for yeah. sitting with us. Bye-bye.